my spare time, I like to watch cooking videos, especially outdoor cooking videos, because I like to cook outside. And, and listen, you know, I don't, I, I want to be all humble and stuff, but I'm pretty good at it. But I like to watch these videos because it'll sometimes give me a, a clue, it'll give me a, an ingredient, it'll give me a process that I didn't know about. So I went for years and years and years cooking ribs. Anybody like ribs? Yeah, yeah, ribs, like, you know, I'm just saying. Uh, and, and, and let me tell you something. Ribs are not supposed to be eaten if you're watching your weight. No, these are, you know, and, uh, and I, was, I did really well with my ribs. And now I was watching this video, and uh, there was this guy that was cooking these ribs. And, and about halfway through, he pulled them off, and he, he took some squirt butter. Some squirt butter, some brown sugar, and some honey, and drizzled those things and wrapped them back up. And I went, I'm trying that. And sure enough, it was like the missing ingredient. Because you, you take them off after, after it's been soaking in that yummy caloric goodness for an hour and a half or so, and it's just glazed all up. Isn't that good? It was a missing ingredient. So... Maybe, those of you that might be happily married, Don and I have been married happily 35 years. There are 37 total. It's <laughs> a couple of, no, I'm just kidding. So, you, you know, you wonder what's, what's different with her than all the other girls, like say all the other, like there were tons of them, uh, all two of the other girls. Right, what's the difference? What's the missing, what's, what's the ingredient that I, relate, that, that I found in her that I didn't find anywhere else? See, I think a lot of life can be just one little ingredient, one little process away, one little step, one little tipping point. You know, I, I've seen people make small adjustments to their career and their career just go bananas. One little thing that's missing, but how many know the little thing that's missing is usually not a little thing? It's usually a big thing. So we've been talking about what the Apostle Paul talked about and all these gifts and all the, uh, the orderly operation of the church. And right in the middle of that, he says, stop. I'm going to give you the missing ingredient. There's something missing in your church that's going to tie all of these gifts and all of these uh, perspectives and the endurance that I want you to have when you're facing temptation. I'm, I, there, there's something that's going to tie it all together. What could it be? What could it be? 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13. And we're going to be in that 13th chapter the entire time today. 1 Corinthians 13 and 13 says, Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I think you'll find it interesting. If you, if you read your, your Bible, if you read 1 Corinthians, you're going to see verse 12, chapter 12 is all about, all about these spiritual gifts. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And chapter 14 is all about the orderly operation of these gifts inside the church. And then right in between them, 
there's this 13-verse narrative about love. But it doesn't begin at chapter 13, verse 1. Verse one. It really begins at the end of chapter 12. At the end of chapter 12, it says uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. We, we should all be seeking after those spiritual gifts, right? And then he says at the end of the 12th chapter, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Write this down. You'll live your best life as you learn to love God and love others. Loving God loving other people. Can I tell you, and Paul tells us this in this chapter, you can, you can be gifted and anointed and talented and have all of this stuff. But if you don't know how to love God and you don't know how to love people, it's just noise. It just doesn't mean very much. You can have the nicest building and the coolest graphics and the nicest lights, but if you don't have love, if you don't love God, you don't love each other, something's missing. And that little thing that's missing is not a little thing at all. In fact, it's quite a big deal. So let's begin this, these next few moments understanding this, that the goal should be to love others the way God loves you. Now, now, do you have the capacity to love like God? If He lives inside of us, His Spirit dwells within us, I believe that we can, that, that, that we can move in that direction. Now, we're never going to have the perfect love of God, are we? Because we're not God. But that should be our goal. I have a, a friend that planted a church in 1982, and it's still going today, and it's, it's had... Times of great success and times of great struggle. And there's been something that they've attached to their name for the entire time. And it was three words, love, accept, and forgive. And, and honestly, I think those three words are really the same. Because, I mean, you know, you can't love without accepting. You can't accept without forgiving. You can't forgive without loving. And I, I wonder if we've really understood what it means to accept each other the way God has accepted us. See, we're in a really challenging cultural period. See, what the, what the culture wants you to believe as a, as a Christ follower, as a Bible-believing Christ follower, that in order to genuinely love other people, you've got to compromise your convictions. And I'm going to tell you that that's inaccurate. That you can hold faithfully to your convictions and love and accept others at the same time. Well, that was a lot. That was just silent. Let, let's look at that word accept. What the word accept really literally means in, in, this, in this context is it's to, to take by the hand to lead. What the word accept means to take by the hand to lead. In other words, when I accept you, I hold your hand. And I want to lead you toward the ways of God. So regardless of what our culture says, regardless of what month it is, I don't have to celebrate your sin in order to love you. Acceptance 
is when I take, we take each other by the hand with the goal of leading each other toward the cross. Acceptance means acknowledging someone's image. You mean, you mean like their style? No, their image. See, it doesn't matter who you meet today. Everybody you meet today was created in the image of God. It doesn't matter what they're struggling with. It doesn't matter what they're walking through. It doesn't matter what demon they're carrying. It doesn't matter what skeleton's in their closet. They are created in the image of God. It doesn't matter what addiction they're walking through life with. It doesn't matter what horrible, horrible season they've walked through. They are created in the image of God. And what so many times what happens, y'all, is instead of looking at someone and accepting them because of their image, because they're created in the image of God, we want to identify them by their demons. And that's not what you're called to do. What you're called to do is to accept them by their image. We accept them by their image, by, by acknowledging someone's image. We acceptance means recognizing someone's value. Hey, here's a great definition of value. Uh, Mikey likes to send me pictures of old trucks that he finds. And, and they've all got an, a, a value attached. He sent me one not too long ago, and it said, the value was $6,500, and it was scratched through, and now it's $5,500. Do you know why? Because it wasn't worth $6,500. you know why? The value wasn't $6,500 because nobody was willing to pay it. So you can attach some arbitrary value to anything, but until somebody's willing to pay what, what, what that thing is, if somebody's not willing but to pay but $5 for it, what's its value? $5. So we acknowledge, acceptance means we recognize someone's value. Who establishes human value? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. Paid a ransom to save you. Paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So we don't accept people because of their, we don't accept anyone because of any other reason except because of their image. They're created in the image of God and they're, they have incredible value because just like Christ suffered, bled and died for you, he suffered and bled and died for everybody you'll come in contact with today, regardless of what they're walking through, regardless of what, the, how they're hurting, regardless of of what struggle they have, regardless if they even acknowledge the existence of God. They have value because Christ died for the world. And acceptance means affirming God's plan. I, I wonder, I want you to raise your hand if there was a time in your life when you were at the lowest of the low. You were at the bottom of your barrel. Anybody? Raise your hand. How many know in that moment God had a plan? That, there's, that you won't meet anybody today that God doesn't have a plan for their life. Doesn't matter where they're struggling. Doesn't matter what they're walking through. You won't meet anybody today that God doesn't have a plan for their life. <laughs> if you've got a pulse, God has a plan. So I, I do believe we're called to accept. But listen, you might want to write this down. Acceptance does not mean approval. You can accept, but that doesn't mean that, you, that, 
that you approve or that God approves or the Bible approves of, of, of a lifestyle, of a decision, of a choice, of a sin. Aren't you glad that God accepted you even when He didn't approve of what you were doing? How many did something today God didn't approve of? You're like, how do you know? <laughs> See, we, our culture is teaching us that in order to, to share the love of Christ and to love people genuinely, that we have to put a stamp of approval on, on all of the nonsense that's going on around us. And how many would agree with Pastor Dwayne if I were to say there's some nonsense going on around us? You know, I don't even know what store I can go to anymore. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and, and we, we laugh and we chuckle, but it's, it's like, it seems like since COVID, everything has become a confrontation, hasn't it? And it's an us against them, and the devil smiles. See, the, I, I love this passage in Jan, John, in John chapter 1 that says, Jesus came full of grace and truth. You can have both. You can stand with strong biblical convictions and do it in a loving, gracious way. And I believe that's what the world's looking for. I believe that's what the world's looking for. Is for people who love God to take what God has given them into a world that so desperately needs the love of Christ. Not, not in, a, in, in judgment, not in... But, you know, we, we talk about, you, you know, if, if you go to a, an evangelical church, if anybody's getting judged right now, it's you. I hate to break the news to you, but, but nobody likes you right now. Right? Nobody, it's, we, our, our culture doesn't like the idea that somebody might take the Bible and hold it literally. Because it says some things that are hard. But just because they're hard doesn't mean God's wrong. He's been right for a long, long time. And that didn't change with this generation. And I guess what I'm trying to say today is, when will you and I, when will we be able to, to share the love of God with passion and conviction while at the same time holding true to the truth of God's Word? And, and that day has to be today. See, I'm going to say that, that, that genuine love that doesn't present truth isn't love at all. Is the most loving thing you can do for your children just to make them happy? Is the most loving thing you can do for your child just to keep the peace? Just to make sure? No. In fact, you could argue that that was cruel. Because you're setting that child up for failure, aren't you? Well, I, I, I'm of the opinion that what we must do as the church of God, as the church of Christ Jesus, we must hold true to the convictions of Scripture in a way that's loving and gracious. And I believe you can do both. It looks like forgiveness. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 4. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted. What if we just stopped right there? Just be kind to each other, 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. If you're having a hard time forgiving somebody, you need to get your heart right. Carrying unforgiveness, I put this on Facebook last week, carrying unforgiveness toward another human being isn't a relationship problem, it's a spiritual problem. And if anybody ought to be able to forgive, it's those to whom have been forgiven much. How can, how, how can we be gracious and, and have gratitude for God forgiving our sins, but we won't, we won't forgive others? It doesn't work that way, by the way. So, so Paul unpacks this idea of what, of what love looked like in chapter 13. And so we're going to, we're just going to unpack it a little. Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but don't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Let, let me ask you, let, where's, where, where's Trent and Nikki? Uh, the, uh, the other day, um, we were in here. It was late. It was, I think it was Wednesday night. And Eli, like every four-year-old on the planet, wants to get in that cage over there. And it was all good. I was watching Trent. It was all good until he started hitting them cymbals. He was like, nope, 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 nope. You know why? Because it's noisy. It's incredibly noisy. There's nothing musical at all about a four-year-old taking a drumstick and just hitting cymbals. It's just noise. And Paul said, you can have all the gifts you want. But if you don't love other people, it's just noise. Verse 2, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. <laughs> if I gave everything I had to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Human effort, not motivated by love for God and others, disappears into noisy nothingness. It just doesn't mean anything. And that is love defined by culture. Love defined by culture is insignificant. It won't last forever. Love defined by culture is what makes us feel good. Love defined by culture is what, makes, what, what, what puts us on everybody's good side. Love defined by culture. <laughs> There's a theologian, his name is Josiah Gregory. <laughs> he said, people of little religion are always noisy. He who has not the love of God and man filling his heart is like an empty wagon coming violently down a hill. It makes a great noise because there's nothing in it. How many of you want your life to be significant? How many of you want your life to be significant and substantive? That you want it to mean something. The only way. You know, I have to be very careful how I'm going to say what I'm getting ready to say. Christianity is an exclusive religion. 
It's an exclusive, inclusive religion. In other words, it's for the whole world. I, I believe that with every... For God so loved the world. But I have to come to him on his terms. There's one way. His name's Jesus. And he got to... De God defines what love looks like. Not the culture around me. In other words... If you want your effort, your life, your career, your relationships to mean something, do it with the love of God. Do it with love of God and love for other people. And it'll last forever. In fact, write this down. A life motivated by love for God and others will be eternally significant. How would you like to be a part of something that's bigger than you? See, that's what, that's what Paul was talking about. You've got, these, you've got this church. You've got these gifts. We're teaching how to, how to operate in them. How would you like to be a part of something that's, that's not noisy and is, is, is substantive in something? You've got to learn how to love other people. And before you can do that, you've got to learn how to love God. <laughs> and, and that seems almost silly, doesn't it? I, I was, you know, it's amazing what you can, uh, what you can learn by watching a, a little child. We had Harbor last night for a few hours. And there came a point where, um, and we had a glorious time, just, just a glorious time. And, and she, just, she just stopped. And she looked over at Donna and she said, When's mom and daddy coming? And she said, they'll be here in a little while. And, and you just saw the love that that child had for her parents. And you know what I thought? Nobody had to teach her how to do that. She's expressing what comes natural when she's experienced the love of her parents. Nobody should have to teach us how to love God. Listen, what has he done for you? Has he poured out everything for you and for me? The answer is obviously yes. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Because all that I have is a hallelujah. I know it's not much. And I'm learning that that has to come first. I, I love that little girl with everything inside of me. I, I've We've been hanging around for almost 40 years, and I love her with everything, but I'm, I can't love her right if I don't love God first. I love my children. I would take a bullet for any of them it, without hesitation, but I can't love them right when I don't, if I don't love God right. It's a different kind of love. See, genuine love, write this down, is defined by God, not by culture. Verses 4 to 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, it's, it's, just very, it's just very practical. It says, love is patient. <laughs> love is patient and love is kind. I'm going to stop there. Is there, 
is, is that convicting to anybody at all? Are, are there moments when you recognize that your own impatience and lack of kindness? I, I don't like to be that guy. I don't like to be short with people, and I don't like to be unkind. Love is not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not rude. It does not demand its own way. Listen, cultural love is narcissistic. Will demand its own way. (laughs) Here we go. It is not irritable. Keeps no record of being wronged. Look at verse 6, y'all. We're going to... It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. One version says, does not delight in evil. Does not delight in evil. And here's, oh, y'all, here's the tension. We are called to be salt and light and loving and gracious in a dark, hellish world. Right? And, and the tension is, the culture looks at the church and says, if you don't love the way we define love, then you're hate-filled and judgmental. And so what, what the temptation is, is to, well, maybe... Maybe we need to blend biblical love with cultural love and find some happy medium between the two. And and I'm going to tell you that that's... Can Can I give you a really disgusting, gross illustration of what that looks like? Here's... Here's what we have in our culture, in our society right now. We have parents who are allowing 11-year-olds to make permanent, lifelong gender decisions at 11 and calling that love. That's not love. That's child abuse. You are doing to that child's mind what a pedophile would do to that child's body. You are destroying that child's mind. So don't tell me that I've got to support that to be loving, because it's not loving. If I would have let Mikey and Matthew Lipe make their own decisions at 11, Mikey would have slept outside every night. Matt would have eaten nothing but chicken fingers, mac and cheese, and gummy worms. Now you laugh. If I'm not going to do that, why would we allow a child to make permanent, lifelong decisions at 11 years old? Y'all, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what the culture calls love in love. And, and I know that sounds harsh. 
I, I know that sounds harsh. Dwayne, you, you're, you're being insensitive to people who are struggling with their gender. No, I'm not. Listen to me. My heart bleeds. Because I believe in my heart there really are people in our, in our culture, on our planet, that struggle with their own gender identity. It's called gender dysphoria, and it's a diagnosable mental illness, and my heart breaks for them. But you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not, I'm not going to help them. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to prop up their arms as they walk through a, a mental illness. I'm going to find them help. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, y'all, when we, when we talk about the love of God, it, sometimes we, we want to paint that with this brush that means it's passive and just kind of goes with the... Listen, Jesus was anything but passive. The Bible is full of very narrow paths. And, and just because you walk a narrow path doesn't mean you have a narrow mind. And that's what the culture wants you to believe. Is that you, you're a narrow-minded bigot because you hold truth to the truths of Scripture. And, and I, I, I'm going to tell you that if the only way you could say that is if you don't know what the Bible says. Because this Bible is full of the love of God. As God defines it. I'm going to, I want to love the world. I really do, but I'm not going to delight in evil. I, I, I want to share the love of Christ, but I'm not going to buy a ticket to that circus. I think, I think, I know y'all, we can hold true to the, to the love of God and maintain biblical, godly, standards man i'm, I'm going to tell you that that is such a backwards notion these days i i i, I came across a, a video it was a it was a pastor and she was having a debate with another pastor and she said you've got no right to to tell anybody what two consenting adults can do you guess what? The Bible's full of admonition about what two consenting adults can and can't do. And I know this is a weird way to wrap a love message. The most unloving thing the church can do is to stay silent. The most unloving thing the church can do is to What's the right word? To lose our grip on biblical standards. The Bible says love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful. Endures through every circumstance. <laughs> Look at those words. Never, always, every. God's love works. God's love is what this world needs. God's love is what this world needs expressed on the cross of Christ in an empty tomb. That is the only solution for the hell this world's walking through right now. And maybe that makes me insensitive. Maybe that makes me backwards. 
maybe that makes me not progressive. I'm progressive, you know. I, I untuck my shirt almost every Sunday. I am not satisfied to watch an entire generation go to hell because we're going to shut our mouth because it's uncomfortable. I'm, I'm not okay with that. If, if that, if that, I don't know, somebody may see this and, and I'll, I'll get canceled. Oh, oh, oh no. I don't, wouldn't be the first time. See, we've, what culture has done is wrapped up love in a feeling. And love not, has nothing to do with what you feel. In fact, love is not something felt, but something accomplished. <laughs> I don't... You don't feel love, you accept love. You don't... Love is not just this abstract feeling it is something that someone does for God so loved the world that he gave the theologian said his name is Adam Clark he said love is never satisfied but in the welfare comfort and salvation of all that man is no Christian who is solicitous for his own happiness alone and cares not how the world goes so that himself be comfortable. It's not okay for us to just sit idly by in our, in our buildings and in our churches and go, I'm going to heaven, everybody else can go to hell. Well, Dwayne, it's tough in this culture. Absolutely. It is tough in this culture. It's tough to take a stand in this culture. But you were born for such a time as this. You're on this planet today because God knew that you would be equipped to take this glorious gospel and the magnificent love of Christ into the world that you live in. Even if it's difficult. Even if it challenges people. Even if it costs you followers on Instagram. See, Charles Spurgeon, my wife loves Charles Spurgeon. Love does not ask to have an easy life of it. Self-love makes that her aim. Love denies herself, sacrifices herself, that she may win victories for God, and hers shall be no tinsel crown. <laughs> love defined by God is sacrificial. Love defined by culture is typically selfish. If you're doing something, calling it love, and it, it doesn't cost you something, it's probably not. I was talking about this sermon a little with Mikey this morning. And he said, you need to, you need to quote C.S. Lewis, Mikey's favorite author. C.S. Lewis's definition of love is, love is not affectionate feeling but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. Hmm. See, if I, if I genuinely love this culture and people who are far from God, 
I need to want their ultimate good, not their temporary comfort. Are y'all getting this? You see what I'm trying to say? What's more important in this culture than just flowery feelings is to love somebody enough to first of all live the truth. If you try to preach the truth before you live it, it's a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It's just noise. All right. Donna, come on. Please. Can I tell you what, what the church... It's going to reach the next generation is going to look like. I mean, I'll give you a clue what it's not going to look like. It's not going to be. It's not going to be lights and colors, smoke and mirrors. It's not what it's going to be. The church that wins the next generation is going to be the church that learns how to fall madly in love with Jesus and then not sit on it. See, I, the, the church from my generation to this point, we, we've been quite content to, to open up our arms and say, hey, y'all come. That's not going to be the church that wins the next generation. The church that wins the next generation will come into a building like this. Connect with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And then walk out that door on mission to love the world. It won't be, hey, you come to us. It'll be, we're going to go to you. It looks different. When people learn to love God with everything in them, and then to genuinely love other people so much that you want their ultimate good, not their temporary satisfaction. Listen, then you'll, you'll be able to open up the, the gospel and open up the love of Christ. Here's your last two fill-ins. I want you to, to pay attention here. First thing I want you to hear is that you can never express God's love until you've experienced God's love. And so when I was making my notes, jotting this stuff down today, or this week, I really felt like there were going to be three kinds of people here. And, uh, and I'd like to pray for you. So maybe uh, you, you fall into one of these three categories in the context of the love of God. Maybe, first of all, you're having a difficult time loving yourself. Maybe you've disappointed yourself, you've disappointed others, you've, I don't know. Maybe the world's just beat you up. Maybe circumstances of life have made you feel quite unlovable. Now, everybody else may 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 have an easy time loving you but you're having a hard time loving yourself I get it and maybe if you were to 
take a poll about what people think about oh, that's she she loves everybody he loves everybody but you're having a hard time looking in the mirror and, and loving that person well, well here's what my prayer for you today is is that you experience God's love in a brand new way even on this rainy Sunday morning that the love of God would just flood your heart that's how I'm going to pray for you today because I, I genuinely believe you're going to have a hard time loving to yourself until, you, until you, you have a greater understanding of how deeply, passionately, how wide and deep and high His love is for you. And the second kind of person I think is in the room is I think maybe some of you are here and you're having a difficult time loving somebody else. They've disappointed you. They've irritated you. They've made you mad. Here's my challenge for you. I believe that on the other side of your forgiveness, and that's really what it is, y'all. You can't love somebody because you hadn't forgiven them. Well, they hadn't asked for it. (laughs) That's never the command. Jesus never said, well, as soon as they ask for forgiveness, no. He said forgive, period. And, and I'm convinced that there's some folks in this room watching online that would say, I'm having a hard time loving somebody else because I hadn't forgiven them. And, and you just got to get very real with that this morning. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you with this thought. Man, you're, that's going to be a huge speed bump in your own spiritual growth. And until you can get past that, until you can learn to love, even you would say, well, they don't deserve it. Aren't you glad that you got some love you didn't deserve? So maybe you're here and you have a hard time loving yourself. Maybe you're here and you're having a hard time loving somebody else. Maybe you're here and you're having a hard time loving God. (laughs) I've been there. You know, it seems like Man, you, you, you ask the, the questions, God, if, if you love me so much, why am I struggling like this? If you love me so much, why is my marriage like it is? If you love me so much, why is my job like it is? If you love me so much, why, 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 why? I get it. Man, I would challenge you today. M- maybe if... In st- Instead of counting all the things you think God hasn't done for you, if you'd start counting all the things that you're confident that He has, I think you'd find more than enough reason to throw up your hands and praise Him again and again. I think it's a matter of perspective. So I want you to bow your heads with me. So remember I said there's three kinds of people in the room today. Maybe more, but this is what the Lord laid on my heart. You're having a hard time loving yourself. Having a hard time loving somebody else. Maybe you're having a hard time loving God. If you say, Pastor Dwayne, I'm in one of those three categories. Maybe in all three of them, I don't know. But I'm in at least one of those categories. I just want you to just, just quickly and quickly slip your hand up. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Here's what's going to happen. Donna's going to do this course a time or two. And I would just invite you in the closing moments of this service just to sneak up around this altar and kneel and pray. And I want to pray for you. Would you do that? Donna's saying, you guys come. Kneel around this altar. So